sweet deal. Well, John, welcome to the studio quarter. Well, thank you for having me. John Banza, wow, this is, this is pretty wild. Yeah, I've it's known you a long time. It's been 20 years. Has it been that long? It's been 20 fucking years. So the first time your dad brought you in the store, right? That's yeah. I uh, came in, we saw a local music shop, we had just moved to the area, and he was a guitar teacher. Uh -huh. I wanted to learn guitar, and we came in, uh, Aaron from Fat Frog, oh the band, remember that? Yes. 20 yes. years ago, wow. I had my first two guitar lessons ever with her, and then I had, a f I had a few with her, I think, and then I moved on to, uh, I think, I don't remember how I moved on. I think I had a few, and then moved on to another teacher, and then... At the store? I think at the store, yeah. I wonder how you got Aaron. I just walked in and that's who that's who you guys put me with. Opening <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah she was she was she was rad if I remember, but I was also five. Yeah, I was five she years old. Yeah, she was a very good player and good Damn. teacher. Twenty years later, and I'm having you sit down at my uh, my desk in my studio. Yes, this is pretty cool. Awesome studio. Too. I'm pretty stoked on this. Well, you helped build this damn place. Carlos and I, right? Yeah, yeah I remember that you guys came by. <laughs> I was 16. I was 15 or 16 years old, and you guys came in here with all this equipment and uh -huh. just all this stuff. I had no fucking idea what was going, going on. on. <laughs> no idea. I was like, I guess this is happening. Yeah. And then uh, still for years, still have yet to figure out a lot of this stuff. Yeah. I still call people like, hey, can you show me how to wire my own equipment? <laughs> I'm the worst guitar player and the best guitar player all at the same time. Uh -huh. I don't know anything about what I'm supposed to know about, but I can play the damn yeah. thing. Anyway, <laughs> now that we're done reminiscing, uh, you are the guitar pimp. That is my nickname for you. Oh, no. I've You're heard that before. Pimp. Yes. Yeah, I've, I've, heard, I've heard other people say it. You're the guitar <laughs> pimp. And anyone in the Ventura County area that lives in this, that's ever bought or had any questions about music in general, they know who John Banzel is. You're like a legend. Oh, wow. <laughs> people talk about you like you're this mystic wizard. Oh, really? I call you the guitar pimp because every time I walk in instrumental music, I swear to God, I walk out with something. I was like, I wasn't planning on buying this. Uh -huh. But John made it sound like I needed this. I probably need this. <laughs> There you go. And has it been good most of the time? You have you have <laughs> not steered me in a wrong direction. Well, good. You have given me, you've answered all my questions. You steered me in the direction that I think I want. And then when I mess up, you're there to save me. All right. That's good. You uh, do a spectacular job. So Thank you. What is it about you that allows you to sell guitars and sell equipment the way you do? You know, I think that's, that's a good question. But I, I definitely listen to what people have to say, you know. A lot of times, you know, everybody, when you're, you know, I'm a player too, and I think we're always looking for, you know, a better sound or something always. to take us to the next level always. or something. Always, right? Yeah. It's the never-ending search. So I think you have to, first of all, have to, you have to listen. You know, what is this person trying to achieve with their sound or what are they, what are they trying to do? And then from there, you kind of just, you know, I mean, I've been doing it a long time, so I, yeah. I think I have some good experience and advice to be able to steer people in the right direction that'll help them get what they're, what they're looking for. Well, I just, I've never seen so many, especially musicians, musicians are really like moody and we're not trust, we don't trust uh -huh. very easily. Yeah. But like I, when every time I see someone talk to you or someone come into the shop, whether they know you or they don't, it's like this immediate trust when they, they start asking you questions. Uh -huh. I've never seen it before. Really? It blows my mind. I'm like, like John, like everyone just trusts John. Uh -huh. Like if the apocalypse happened and like they needed something musically, John probably can fix that <laughs> and get it done. Yeah. Do you have like a strategy or is it just, it just kind of happens? You know, I don't think I've, I don't think I have so much of a strategy. Um, I have been doing it a long time. I kind of got, I, it's not something that I wanted to do originally because yeah. I started out teaching at the store. Yeah, I, I blew my mind. You sent me that. 81 you started teaching, right? Yeah. 
And in two years, he became the manager. Right. Yeah. The hell did you do? <laughs> yeah, it was it was the weirdest thing because I, I probably had about I was doing some group lessons that had like fifteen or twenty people in it. Oh shit. And along with teaching about seventy students a week, it was oh crazy back God. then. God. Yeah, it was it was insane. And did you sleep? No, I, d I slept. <laughs> yeah, but it was the thing was I'd get interrupted. You know, um, the owner would come by and say. You know, somebody's here to see you about about something, a guitar or something. So I was kind of like, I'd be in a lesson, and then as soon as I get out, I'd have a minute to talk to this person, and he'd be oh. asking me about equipment and stuff, and what should I get, or the parents would want to know what should I get. So that's kind of how I got into the the selling thing, you know. Wow. And well, was I imagine there was a manager while you were teaching. Uh, well, Brian was the owner. Brian McCann's the owner of the store. Okay, and so he was run. He was managing. He, he was time. running the store. He actually had a partner at the time. And they had opened in 79 in Chatsworth. And then they moved up to Thousand Oaks in 81, and that's when I started teaching. And then about a year after that, his partner decided he wanted to get out. So, and he was noticing that I was getting a lot of people asking me and stuff. And you he were goes, the guy. And he goes, you know, maybe you could want to work part-time, too, teach and work part-time. And I tried it, and I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed helping people, showing them pedals and keyboards and guitars and all that was stuff. Was it just like something that was like easy, came easy for you, or was it something like you did and you're like, well, I actually really, really am into this. I could do this. Yeah, it seemed to come easy, and I definitely enjoyed it, you know. Um, so it was something that, you know, I just okay, kind of so walked into. Okay, so what's easier, dealing with a, a tough customer or a tough student? <laughs> tough student how? <laughs> so, all right, scenario, let's see. Because um, there's student, like – a student that is has no patience, mm -hmm. doesn't you know, don't patience for like the struggle, maybe uh, or whatever right, it is, right. uh, gets frustrated really quick and is very, you know, vocal about it and doesn't really focus or pay attention to what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Or a customer that comes in is just plain rude and condescending, and once again is not listening to anything you're saying, just waiting for you to give them a deal. Uh -huh. I would have to say, well, it's more frustrating, I think, if it's the student. Okay. Um, that's very frustrating. Yeah. You know. It's straight up frustrating. <laughs> it's very frustrating. And it's, it's, it's and as being, a, you know, a teacher that I did it, and also my teachers that work at the store, I've talked to them about things. Yeah. You know, they don't look forward to those students coming in and yeah. taking a lesson, you know. Yeah. Um, so the customer usually can be dealt with quickly, okay. you know, fairly quickly, and, and get the matter resolved, you yeah. know, and then move on. But you know, stuck with the you're stuck with the student <laughs> until you either, you know, don't want to teach them anymore or they quit. You know. Wow, I guess I never thought about that. Like, shit, you have an out for the customer. Yeah, yeah, you definitely do. The student, and a lot of times the students there, you know, it's the parents want them to take the lessons. Yeah. And they're not really that into it, you know. Yeah. But then again, there's nothing. You know, if you have a great student that, you know, is coming in and wants to learn and practices and does all that stuff it's that's gets you excited that's gets you excited and it's a great feeling because you see them progress and you're helping them get better yeah. you know so that's an awesome feeling so do you miss that at all being a, a teacher yeah i do miss it sometimes a little bit yeah um but yeah. i don't think it's something that i'd want to go back to i mean you're like the kingpin of yeah music shops now yeah <laughs> i mean shit there's there's three in Toronto Musics now right yeah there's one in 
Santa Barbara was the second, and then Ventura was the third. I mean, there's three shops, and they seem to be doing pretty well. It's not like they're yeah, know, and they all have their own little marketplace. Kind of, it's you know, it's Santa Barbara is a college town, you know, and well, it's crazy because like Guitar Center is not that far away in either direction. Like well, it's really not. No, I mean, I have there's one in Agura, and then there's one right in Ventura. Now there's one in Westlake, you know. Oh, that's the one Westlake, right? Yeah, yeah Westlake and Agura. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's amazing because like you know, while Guitar Center has like this huge store and all these all this equipment, like. For me, even the concept of going there to get something without consulting everything you've got in instrumental music mm-hmm. just doesn't make any sense. Like, I, w- I would I would never go to Guitar Center for something. Uh-huh. And, like, I run into more people where it's like, th- I understand the personal side of things. Like, it's a personal experience. You get more care at instrumental music. But you would think these giant corporations are just getting so much more business out here. Yeah. But a, a company like instrumental music and the shop that you run, it's just like this, this li- it's like a little... Uh, I don't want to say Troy because they got taken out, but like this little <laughs> fortress that like is just everyone needs. Yeah, it's amazing. It blows my mind. Yeah, um, and I think a lot of that has to do with you. Mm. I think because uh, I've, I mean, I've grown up go- in there. I've grown up in that shop. Uh-huh. I've gotten pretty much everything I own from that shop. Yeah. Um, you've sold me most of those things, and I've watched a lot of different employees come in and out of there. Uh-huh. And I don't think there's ever been a time I've walked into instrumental music and one of the employees wasn't able get me what I wanted, help me on a, on another level, uh-huh. or have someone on staff that could take me, like, could teach me something new. Uh-huh. And I've heard from, you know, f- friends that I've made that I've worked through over the years, they talk about how much of a hard ass you are, how much, like, you're like this manager that nothing slips by you, you don't fuck around, and I'm like, really? <laughs> Quiet John? And I'm like, I can totally see him being, like, total mafia running the store, just super fine outside of it. <laughs> Is that true? Do you run a, do you run a tight shift? Well, I mean... I yeah, okay. I, I think you know there's always room for improvement on a lot of things and stuff. But well, you definitely don't hire morons. <laughs> no, no. You hire you have a great staff. Yeah, and some of those people have been there a long time. Yeah, you know. I mean, John Locks is how you say last name. Yeah. I mean, he was one of my favorites. I mean, I I used to come in just to talk to him, just to hear him rant about something because he was so you know knowledgeable about everything. Yeah, and, and well, you know, John had had a lot of experience because he like toured too. Yeah. With uh, Warbringer. Warbringer, right? pretty big metal band there for a while. Yeah. So I'm gonna have him on in August. I oh, think. good. Yeah. I don't dive into that yeah. shit. Yeah, he's he's a great guy. Another soft-spoken John that's probably yeah, super ruthless. <laughs> but um. All right, so customers. What's the worst customer you've ever had in that shop? Do you have one? Ooh. Oh, boy. I've always wanted to ask you these questions, by the way. The, the <laughs> that you're in my trap. I've always wanted to ask you these questions. The worst customer. That's, that's a tough question. Um, I can tell you one of the weirdest Ooh, or bizarre weirdest. customers. Okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And this was back probably in the mid-'80s. Mid eighties. Yeah, and this was it's when. Time. Yeah, was, and this <laughs> was when you know, like Marshall Stacks and okay, you know, all that was real popular and big amps, you know. Still popular. For Still me. popular, but not <laughs> as you know, not yeah. like it was back then. And um, this customer came in, and um, the owner was was actually talking to him, and I was kind of listening, and it was a bizarre conversation. And finally, he came over to me and goes, you know, I, I can't help this guy. You need to help him. And I'm going, why? And he said, well, he was he was looking at this Marshall head. And I asked him what he was going to use it for. And he said he was going to use it for mathematical uh, equations. <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah. 
So it was just this customer was just he was something was not right upstairs, you know. He was going to use the Marshall head <laughs> yeah. for mathematical equations. equations. And he yeah. just left it at that. He didn't, he, any yeah, details. didn't have any other details. Like he's going to measure yeah. sound waves. Yeah. He just said. Yeah, and just kind of looked at looked at us. Did you offer him a notepad? Like yeah. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> they have, they have things for that. <laughs> but that that was definitely a bizarre. Did he buy? No, he didn't okay. buy. Okay. No. There's no, no way. No, no. But to get back to that question, the most difficult is that what you were asking? Difficult, just, just terrible, mean, nasty. When you got a weird one. Yeah, I've been pretty lucky. There, you really don't get, at least from you know all the years I've been doing it, I haven't really had any like real difficult people or mean people. I mean, every once in a while you'll get somebody that's drunk in the store, you know. Really. And that that can be. That can be kind of. You ever had anybody break anything in there? You know, no. I had a guy. Um, <laughs> he was. <laughs> he went to sit on the stool and he missed it and he fell on the floor. Oh man! <laughs> and he couldn't get up. <laughs> you know, he was so <laughs> so. Oh drunk. shit! Yeah, that was pretty funny. Damn. <laughs> you have to kick them out though, right? Yeah. Well, you got it. Yeah, you got to say you can't. You know, you got to leave, leave. You know. <laughs> yeah. Anyone ever like yeah. like I, I'm not leaving or whatever? No, I haven't had that. Wow. No, own a shop and like in that. I mean, I guess it's Tito too, so it's not that like bad. But still, yeah, to own a shop that long and or run a shop that long and never have to do that. That's impressive. That should say everything about your track record. Like yeah. John Menzel, the perfect salesman, yeah. <laughs> the perfect uh, owner, manager, whatever it is. Yeah. So, and, um, but yeah. Mm. Same guy still own all three shops. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Does he do anything else other than? He's actually a very good saxophone player. Ooh. Really good saxophone player. He <laughs> plays in several bands. He's been doing that a long time. Just a love music. Yeah, yeah. He's a great, great player. Wow. So you, you, I mean, when they opened up in 79, you came in 81. Yeah, so the first store was actually in Chatsworth. Chatsworth. And, and then they moved out to Thousand Oaks in 81. Wow. And I was actually teaching at a little store on the, on the boulevard. Real, real small store. And, um. I'd heard there was a new store opening up, and I, I yeah. called, and I actually happened to, they put me in touch with the main teacher that was teaching there, and he said, yeah, we're looking for, to expand a little bit, so yeah. he had me come down, and then he hired me to teach there. That's too cool, and so you, but you quickly became the manager, so you were meeting a lot of people, because, I mean, T.O., Calabas, this whole area has so many big musicians, uh -huh. so many big cats, like you would never, I mean, mm -hmm. I'm still to this day amazed at how many of those guys live out here. Oh, yeah. Um, so, but you got to like build relationships with people through like the peak of their careers. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Like and what, what wait, was that? Was that ever like weird for you, like being the guy that sold them their stuff, or was it like did you fan out super hard? I mean, how did you stay professional? What was what was your what was it like? I mean, these people were it's the eighties, it was nineties, yeah, it was the peak. Yeah, I, I think I think it was more, you know, I I took it, you know, I had to be professional with these people because they could, you know, they could. They didn't have to do business with us, you know. Yeah. I mean, at the time, GC Hollywood was pretty big then down there, and there was a couple other stores that were big and professional stuff. But you know, we had a, we also did a, we did a lot of advertising in the valley at the time, and had people coming up from that area, oh, wow. and, and we, we actually did a lot of recording, you know, big consoles and multi-track tape recorders at the time and stuff. Add instrumental. Yeah. So you guys had a, like a room for yeah we didn't really have a room but we had you know we had we had all that stuff displayed and and wow. I had a great system at home and I, I knew how to use it so I would I would sell people this stuff and then go over and set it all up for them show them how to run it and everything you know Just damn so that's freaking awesome so that kind of that kind of helped you know 
get you can't get that service anywhere else. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. you know, I yeah, I'd show them how to record tracks and. Did you, did you ever have a moment where someone came in that you were a super hardcore fan of? And you know, we uh, a producer that lives in the area um, brought in Roy Orbison once. You know, the song "Pretty Woman." Okay, All Van right. Halen redid yeah, it. Yeah, right on. That, and he's the guy that wore the b- he was bl- all in black and had black sunglasses all okay. the time. He brought him him to the store and BB King. We brought him BB King oh my into God. the store. So those were some people that, you know, Richie Sambora was came in from you know a lot from yeah. Bon Jovi and. Um, I know Eddie Money shops a lot. Yeah, there. Eddie Money and his kids. His kids yeah. now shop there a lot. Eddie, yeah, Eddie I, I went to school with his uh, with Dez. He's yeah, Dez. Yeah, yeah, Dez is a good kid. Yeah. And you know there was. Danny Johnstone, Elton John's guitar player, yeah. and then you know. Now you got Elton John's bass player. Yeah, Motley Crue guys lived out here. Nikki Six, you know, all those guys. Well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so you know, all those people were definitely. But you got to see stuff. Motley Crue through like, did, were they come? Were they around the? Uh, were they out in this area at that time? Well, y- yeah. Oh, you living out here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was so well, you saw them in their probably the late eighties is when I first met them, but I remember going to see them. Probably it must have been. 76, 77. Who would have thought? Yeah, at the Starwood. I don't know if you remember the Starwood uh-huh. in Hollywood. That was like one of the big clubs. It was the Starwood. Roxy was there. Wow. And um, there was one other. I can't remember right now. But I, s- I had never heard of them, and they were opened up for a band that's in the Bay Area called Y&T yesterday and today. Dave Menachetti. I don't know if you ever heard of him. Mm-mm. Oh, you got to check Dave Menachetti out. Dave Menachetti. Oh, great. One of the best blues rock players, you know, and singer, too. Amazing singer. It's Y&T, yesterday and today. Dave. Menachetti. Yeah. I'm sure they pop up on Google. I've definitely didn't spell that right. <laughs> but Motley Crue was opening for them, and I had never opening heard of them. Opening for them. Oh, my God. And they were not very good at <laughs> At that show, I believe it, and everybody was going. Well, we can see why they're a Motley Crue. You know, <laughs> they were just not that good. Little did they know they're about to be yeah, one of the biggest rock bands to ever really play. Big, you know, so and then sure enough, years later, they're buying stuff out of your shop. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you talk about it so nonchalantly, but I'd, it'd be so surreal to like be dealing with these people because I mean, they're people at the end of the day. But like, you'd be right. such a fan, like these big rock stars and all this stuff, and they're just coming in and getting their gear from your, you know, the shop yeah. that you're running. Well, you know, I found that most of those people. You know, they're really easy to talk to, and they're pretty down to earth. And like you said, they're just like, just yeah. like us, really. And I think you know they get a lot of that from other people. You know, the fame, you know, the fame yeah. thing, and people always wanting stuff. And you know, but in that environment, they could come in and pretty much be themselves and talk gear and stuff. You still, know? still so music nerds at the end of the yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I think. And it still totally has that vibe in there. Yeah. Has it has the vibe in the store for you changed at all over the years? Um, I don't think the vibes changed. I mean, I think the the buying patterns of people have changed, and what's in fashion and that type Mm. of thing. You know, I mean, you know, when Taylor's thirteen year old kid isn't coming in for a guitar anymore, it's not like that now. You know, but I mean, think about it. Can you name any guitar hero that you've really seen come out? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I had this conversation with a friend of mine the other day. Like, uh, are you talking about guitar, guitar hero, like a real, like a hero? Yeah, like, like who's like the last last guitar hero? I mean, John Mayer was, like, this close. Right. He was, like, this close. Mm-hmm. And then he just went a different direction. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, John Mayer came out pop, mm-hmm. and he did lots of it. And, yeah. you know, he did it great. I love John Mayer. I love a lot of his albums. Mm-hmm. But, like, 
then he went country, then he went with a weird sound, and it's just like you were this close to becoming like a guitar god. Mm-hmm. Then he joined the fucking Grateful Dead. <laughs> now, I have nothing against the Grateful Dead. Right. I'm not a huge Grateful Dead fan. Uh-huh. I don't listen to them regularly. Yeah. But it's like, I get it. It's a huge opportunity. It's badass. But it was almost like, did he do that because his career was falling off? And like it was a good move. Mm. How much more does John Mayer have? Like, I guess I guess what I'm saying is I'm looking forward to seeing if he's gonna be the one because really he's the one guy left that can like maybe he'll hit his you know 50s his 60s uh-huh. and then he'll do something you know he'll come back and do something great with the guitar because yeah. he's so fucking talented. Oh yeah, he's amazing. He's an unbelievable guitar player. Yeah, and it just I don't know. I, I mean that's the best I can think of right yeah. now. Outside of like you know the guys that you know like maybe Tosin Abasi from you know, Animals as Leaders, but you know that that's not the upfront scene. No, no, not at all. Yeah. So the, yeah, that's what I'm saying. There just hasn't. I mean, for the girls, there was Taylor Swift, you know, and that that when that whole thing took off, I mean, we had so many more girls coming in the shop wanting to learn. So you guitar saw that. So you I s- went through all wow. that. Yeah, for sure. You know. That's awesome. Just like when I don't know if you were remember when Eric Clapton did his unplug thing. Mm. Um. You know, when he did Tears in Heaven and all that stuff, he went out and started doing a lot of his concerts acoustically. He was kind of one of the first people yeah. to do that. And that really made acoustic guitar sales take off. And, you know, everybody wanted to do an unplugged thing and do acoustic. Yeah, and stuff, unplugged you know? was, it was a big 90s thing, too. Yeah, and that's yeah. what, you know, that's when he was, you know, late 80s, probably he started that early 90s. Everyone was, all the big bands were doing their unplugged albums. Yeah, and he kind of started that. Some of them not doing so well with it, yeah, but you know, yeah. it was the '90s. Yeah, not not a, not a lot of things sounded very good, but we liked it. <laughs> yeah, but we need like for that whole thing to take off, we need like a like Eddie Van Halen or something to come along, you yeah. know, or something yeah, like nice. that. He was just like Hendrix too. did, and yeah, yeah. Does he come in the shop at all? No, I never seen him come in the shop. Really? No. He doesn't live too far. He lives like right in the other side of town, but yeah, he's like probably 20 minutes from the shop. I remember once going to the movie theater and that, and him and Valerie Bertinelli were at the movie theater. Really? This was like a long time ago, but yeah. wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's he's still walking away. I, I a guy that goes to my gym does a like pr- high top-notch private security uh-huh. and uh, I guess he's done it a ton for Eddie Van Halen and his wife uh-huh. and whatnot and uh, I think like one of his kids takes care of their horses like mm-hmm. like what I'm just surrounded by these people how do I get in touch with them I'm gonna knock on their doors yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but um but yeah so you got to see like all the waves all the different generations and like you know it's almost like you would be able to like be able to predict what's coming next I mean the DJ scene probably I mean, did you guys provide for that did we get the into electronic that? Electronic DJs, like all those, you know, everyone wanted electronic yeah, DJ stuff. Yeah, that was that, that, we did a little of that. People were getting into turntables and all that. Yes. And we, d- you know, we did a little of it and then it just, it just didn't seem right for us to, Yeah. you know, we really weren't, our hearts weren't into really doing that, you know. I can say, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you guys still have like great MIDI stuff and great, you know, electronic stuff, but yeah. plus all these, all these cats are like getting their stuff off Amazon now. Oh, for that type of stuff? Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I, I have a, I have an, a, a whatever a kai pad yeah i right. got the thing for like 60 bucks yeah it looks great yeah it's i mean th- it's hard to i mean when you have an item that's just a box it's pretty yeah. much who's got it cheapest you know right well see that's <laughs> like uh, people talk about how like industries will go you know are gonna fall like certain parts of you know any business mm-hmm. is gonna fall but i'm like what will never fall is the acoustic guitar industry right it can't yeah because there's i mean you find any guitar player beginner you know intermediate advanced expert whatever it is they're gonna tell you like i need to play the guitar yeah i need to be with the guitar yeah, yeah. 
I mean, tell, tell me you haven't experienced that moment when you walk into a room full of guitars, you pick the right one up, yeah. you strum, it's like, that's it. That's it. Yeah. And you just, that it's, it's a bond from then on. Yeah, and I mean, there are people that buy their instruments online, but I don't see you. Could you ever buy something oh, without playing you it? You know what? I could buy, I could buy, like, if I was going to, like, take my, my seven-string back there, uh -huh. you know? Yeah. My seven-string back there, I, we, we, we ordered online. I came into the shop and ordered it online. Right, <laughs> I mean, right, I was right, that close. Right, but, I mean, that's, it's like, all right, well, I want the seven-string LTD. Yeah. I, I need it for this. Put these EMGs in it. It'll sound all right. Mm -hmm. you know, it'll sound the way I want it to sound. But that's an electric, active pickups, you know? I mean, you s I'd still rather play it. But like that was just something I need this for this project or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I'd not in a million years would I order. I mean, shit. Even a Strat, I'd have a hard time accepting online. Yeah. Like I need to play the right Strat. Right. They're all made the same. I know, but I need to play the right. But you strats. know, they're not all the same. They're right. not. Oh my god. <laughs> you know. They're just so. Even this factory made. I mean, Taylor, all factory made, precision, right. perfect. Even them. You can still put the same two guitars next to each other, and they're going to be just different enough. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. But raw wood, man. Yeah, no. That shit's it's alive. It's, yeah, it's there's something li it's a living thing and it's everyone's got its own little thing, personality yeah. and that's something we have to bond with as when we're playing, you know. It's like yeah, it's like falling in love. You kind of know when you you find one you like. I mean, the one I've been playing since I was 13. Yeah. We bought it when I was 13. Uh-huh. That one, I remember walking into the room. My dad was with me. I walked into the room, the Martin, the famous <laughs> John's <laughs> Martin room. <laughs> did, it, did you guys just get awarded like one of the top ten in the world or something like that in the well, country? Well, yeah, we're one of their top. Yeah, we're one of their top dealers in the. In the yeah, yeah. That's incredible. And I haven't seen the new room yet. I and actually, we're their top. Crazy enough, we're our top top dealer in California. Dude, even uh, even yeah. above like you know the Hollywood GC store with all that population and everything. Yeah, but they just got all those freaking <laughs> Squires and Fenders and Gibsons. And yeah, they've changed a lot, but yeah. they do, you know. But I don't, yeah, we just, they just came in and redid the part of the room for us. Did you see it? I, I saw the pictures. I haven't oh, gone okay. in yet. I almost stopped by today. I, wa I really want to see yeah, it. But I remember cool. walking into that room and, like, all the Martins, it's like, someday I will have a room like yeah. that. <laughs> I, will call, I will call you personally. John, I need you to fill this room with guitars. Yeah. All right, yep. and that's it. That's yeah. your one job right now. <laughs> Fill my room with guitars. All right, I'm looking forward to it. But I, I, had, I had like scanned all the guitars, and I was just looking at them, you know, kind of like, you know, touched a few, touched the strings, strummed them, didn't even pick them up. Mm -hmm. And then I saw one, yeah. and I was like, that one. Uh -huh. And I walked over, I remember I picked it up, and I played it, and it was, that was it. That yeah. was it. Uh -huh. It was like getting hit with a fucking truck. <laughs> I, don't, I, t I mean, I love all my other guitars, even my acoustics. I felt great feelings, but nothing has ever been a bond like this in my life. Yeah. I picked that guitar up, and it was it. And I, I remember telling my dad, I was like, this is the one. Uh -huh. Like, I need this guitar. Yeah. And he was like, looking at me, he was like, this crazy kid, like, whatever. Yeah. You understood. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but um, until this day, I mean, that thing has more character than shit even I do sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, you can't replace that. No, no. And, I mean, I yeah. feel like a lot of the younger guitar players, no matter how much generations change, like, they still understand that. That's not something you even have to teach. Like you know, it's interesting, you know, when we had the fires here? Yeah. You know, I had to, I don't know, did you have to evacuate? Or you probably weren't. You this know. close. Yeah. It was coming over the mountain yeah. outside. Yeah, we had to evacuate where I was at. And I had to real quickly, I, I knew I could take a few guitars. Yeah. And it was, and it came down to that. It was. I took the ones that I knew I could never ever replace. replace. I mean, you can never really replace any of them, but there are some that yeah. could, you know, would definitely be not hard to replace. But some just you could never replace. Yeah, 
I mean, there's there's some guitars that you like, you know, like remember those? I bought those two Ibanezes from you. Mm-hmm. I have one with the Les Paul pickups. I kept that one. The other one I never did anything with. It was yeah. just kind of sitting around. So I sold it the other day. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not gonna miss this guitar. I can buy a hundred of these. You right, know? right. But you know, the acoustics or like, that's you know, the, yeah. The, the, the custom sh- uh, Fender Strat I have in the back. Yeah. That thing is one of a kind. Yeah. Actually, when that happened and I saw the flames coming over the mountain, we didn't get evacuated, but we got alerts like possibility. Kid you not, I, have a, I drive a Charger. Yeah. It's not a lot of room in that right. car. I came in the studio and I packed up. At the time, I had 17 guitars. Mm-hmm. I packed up all 17 guitars, cases and everything. Wow. And I stacked them in my car, the front seat, the trunk, everything. You got them all in there? Every guitar. Oh, wow. Got in my car. I was like, all right, I'm good. And realized I haven't packed any clothes, food, <laughs> water, toothbrush, <laughs> nothing else. I kid you not. I was, I think my, all I thought about was like, I got to get my guitars out. Yeah. And like my laptop, uh-huh. I was like, and I was thinking, I was like, what do I do about the equipment? And, but I, I walked in, and I was like, oh shit, I don't have anything else. Like I probably need to like <laughs> get some other stuff. I'm like, but I'm not taking the guitar out, so someone else put my stuff in their car. <laughs> I remember that it was it was an interesting experience yeah. having to pack up all your guitars. Yeah, I mean, I didn't have to evacuate, but yeah, but you I mean, could have. Yeah, 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 it's crazy. <laughs> it's I mean, it's hard to explain to people that that love that bond. Oh yeah, yeah, that's that's wild. Well, it's you know, I mean, it's such a emotional and can be such a spiritual thing too you know oh yeah so yeah if you if you don't play or do it yeah it's hard to explain to somebody well it's like you know people that have a passion for something else like that feeling you get is when it feels so real Mm -hmm. so unreal all at the same time yeah it's like imagine being able to create that yeah like physical sound waves Mm -hmm. you get to it's it's unreal yeah like and you get to make other people feel that, right? <laughs> like you think I'm gonna give this thing up? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's it's a uh, it's a brutal. Yeah. It's a it's a brutal bond. Yeah. Anyway, we got we got weird there. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> I'm I'm, I'm <laughs> glad uh, I'm glad I have guitar players to talk about this with. Yes. Very exciting. Anyway, uh, <laughs> intro on music. So we talked about your weirdest customer. Yeah. Drunk customer. Right. <laughs> is there is there a customer that like? came in and bought so much it was absurd have you ever had like someone just come in and be like i want it all at one time yeah just like come in and be like i want 30 guitars and five amps and i don't think like at one time but there's been times where i've had customers where they've bought maybe outfitted a whole studio and bought some guitars and amps and stuff at the same time where it's run into quite a bit of money damn you know so i've had several of those wouldn't that be nice just to be able to like you know what i'll take i'll just have all this stuff yeah yeah (laughs) and some sometimes those deals you have to you know they come in and they say i you know this is what i'm I'm looking at this is what i want to get and you know then you gotta it takes time to put it all together and price it all out and do all that so the other studios yeah so those type of things don't usually happen like right there the same day you know yeah yeah I don't know. I just I've been going there for so long. I'm just I've always wanted to be able to ask you all these crazy questions. Like, what is the weirdest thing? What are the crazy things that happen in there? Because yeah. I'm always hearing about like, oh, this guy walked in instrumental and he did this, and I'm like, whoa. I was there one time. I was buying picks, and some guy walked in. In the time I chose my picks and walked to the counter, he had walked in, picked out six guitars, and was buying them. Mm-hmm. And you would cu- you would like you were walking out of the back with like three more, more guitars. guitars. I'm like, <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> And I remember asking you after he left, I was like, who was that guy? Uh-huh. And you were like, oh, just some guy comes in here like every month, buys six guitars. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good hobby to have. Yeah, well, there's there's quite a few, you know, when we talk about the um, the artists and stuff out in this area. I mean, there's a lot of well-to-do communities 
in our area, you know. Yeah. And a lot of people that <coughs> maybe played when they were younger and then, did you know, gave it up, became real successful in, at, at their jobs, whatever they did. And now they have a lot of disposable income and they just enjoy buying guitars and collecting Shit, guitars. Man, do you it. Know? I've got a lot of customers like that, you know. I would do it. Yeah. Carlos was telling me about a, a guy that he helped in the North Ranch who had like a Martin room. Uh-huh. Like 20 something 26 martins uh-huh. all like custom shop though like oh yeah mother I, I, of pearl. I, yeah i know who you probably know yeah yeah, yeah. You know. yeah i sent him over there to help him with his pro tools when he got his pro tools recording stuff is that the same guy that hired the band from the voice i don't think so no same different guy then i don't think that's the same guy but yeah uh, carlos sent me a picture of his room one time and i was like does he play them and carlos was like it doesn't look like he plays any of them <laughs> i was like i'm gonna burn his house down <laughs> No, he, After actually, I break no, into he it. actually does play. I know he's actually. There's I mean, no way he can't. Yeah, yeah, no, he does. No way. He's retired now, so I know he's playing more and he's doing some recording and stuff too. He yeah. set up like a legit studio in there, huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's too cool. Yeah, he did. Okay, to get right up. Totally, totally nerding out with Paul, <laughs> walking in every day to 26 Martins. Could I have any more if I wanted to? Actually, you get you guys did a Martin event one time, and I came in, and there was a Martin. I think I said it was like it was almost like a hundred grand, like it was some like ridiculous oh price. Oh yeah, the D one hundred, right? It was a hundred thousand dollars. It was like yeah, it was yeah. ridiculous, and it was head to toe. Oh yeah, mother of pearl. Yeah, I picked it up, I played it. It was the worst guitar I've ever played in my life. <laughs> Sound wise, it was the worst piece of shit well, I've ever played. I was like, what is this? <laughs> well, think about it. I mean, you saw the back of the guitar, right? It was all. It was. No, where's, there's no wood. There's no vibration. <laughs> right. There's no sound. <laughs> So it's yeah, it's not gonna sound real good. It's like buying art. That's an art piece, for 3D sure. art. Yeah, that's an art piece. Where I was we I was young and I was really upset about that. I remember. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we had a customer in Santa Barbara actually buy one of those. Really? Yeah. Were they like a player or were they just? Yeah, he was a, p- a little player. He was a collector. I know he was a very successful broker. You know. Hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. For a guitar that doesn't sound good. Yeah. See that that's that's all that's all I can see. Yeah. Like, I understand the collector's item kind of thing, but yeah, doesn't even sound good. Yeah, yeah, no, it didn't. It didn't. <laughs> Plus, I'm not one that gets guitars and doesn't play them. Yeah, I mean, you just played my guitars with you're beating the shit. Oh yeah, but you're they're, they're all broken in. They all oh, opened yeah. up. They all sound great. <laughs> they got their ass kicked. Yeah, like I said, I've been kicked. You're the only. You're not the only one, but you're one of very, very few music shops I've been to that I haven't been asked to leave. That's crazy. In Nashville, a lot. Really? A lot in Nashville. I think every music shop I went to in Nashville, I got asked to leave. I got warned in one, and then they kicked me out after. Yeah. I was like, dude, fuck you. And you could have bought probably some of those guitars. Yeah, I was, I was interested in one at one point. At one point, right? I was interested in one of them. I was like, I think I might want this one. And I was like playing. I must have spent like 20 minutes with it. Yeah. Playing in like 10 minutes, and the guy came in. He's like, uh, make sure you don't play them too hard. And I'm like, oh, I'm not intentionally doing that. I'm just playing. He's like, just ease up on it. So I continued to play it. I really liked it. Yeah. And then he showed up. He's like, I think you guys are done in here. I think you need to. I was with my buddy at the time. He's like, I think you wow. need to put it down. He was like trying to be nice about it, but not. Not, yeah. I was like, dude, the fuck? These are guitars. <laughs> See, I would have been like asking you, how, what's, what's that technique? Your technique. Why? Yeah, you know, you how did you, this how did you, what? <laughs> well, how did you learn to play so hard? And what, you know, I would ask you some questions and we would have. So angry you know. all the time. <laughs> And then I'd smash the guitar. And I've been <laughs> like, well, there's a couple that can really take a pounding when you play them hard, you know? Yeah, I feel like that's a good – see, that's why you're the guitar pimp. You could find a way to sell the guitar to me. Yeah. Like, all right, what's, what's he going to want? Right. All right, so being the guitar pimp, being the legend 
you are. Um, you've been working on instrumental how many years now? It's been since 81 would be almost 40 years. Yeah, 38 years, years. now. I d yeah, I did I did take some time off from 90 to 97. I, okay, I, I remember when I left. That. Yeah. You, uh, well, did you leave town or did you leave? No, I stayed stayed in town, but I was uh, working on some my own stuff, and then, you know, as I told you, I had I had I would set up studios that I'd sell to people, and you know, show them how to use it. And a lot of them still just couldn't get the technique of it, so I kind of was hired out by a lot of people to actually come and record and engineer for them Damn. too. You know, so I was doing a lot of that at the time too. So you got to record your music then. Yeah, I got to record some of my music, and then I started getting recording a lot of other people's music, which left me no time to really do my music. Yeah, and because then you know, you know how that is, right? Yeah, you record someone else's music, and they need everything. Right. So, oh, can we fix this? Can we fix yeah. this? Yeah. Like and then you all of a sudden you're like, well, I, st I kind of started this whole thing to do my music, but now I don't have any time. Yeah. So then, so I started doing some of mine. Then I started, I enjoyed it for a while, just recording other people and helping them produce and engineer. Mm -hmm. And then I. I said, you know, I've got to stop and do some of my stuff, or I'll never get anything recorded. So, so what did you do with your stuff? What was the what was the path you decided to take? Uh, well, we had a song in '90. This was with your band Haven. Actually, at the time, it was it was two of us really. It was Pam and I. Okay. And uh, we had a a producer that lives here in town that had worked with um, a lot of big people, including Fleetwood Mac and Dave Mason and bunch of people and he he, okay. he thought we had something that was kind of cool yeah so he we worked with him a little bit and we had a song that kind of came out that we had written with a friend that it was during the gulf war in 91 and it was a song about it was called proud soldiers and it was just about you know bringing the soldiers home safely and stuff yeah. and this was before the internet but we had we had gotten written up in the LA Times and there were oh some damn. local radio stations playing it and um, so it had some good traction and and from there uh, somebody at Virgin Records that I knew that came in the shop had passed it on to somebody at the company and they they really liked it but they wanted to you know we only have this one song can you record some more songs so we recorded some more songs and it was right at the time grunge was coming out. Okay. So yeah. the Kurt Cobain and all that stuff. Yeah. So it was kind of we were definitely more classic rock. So, so it never really took so off. So that was kind of like you know that that beginning. Was that was that the beginning of you deciding like, hey, I might want to do a career in this, or did you know from the beginning that I want to have a career in being an artist? I think that was kind of probably the start of it. Never really thought I about. Never it. really thought about it. I mean, I had played in you know, and since I had been in high school, I had played in bands. And yeah. And. Um, actually started writing originals pretty early on in my senior year and and uh, and we played for a few years played the club circuit and all that now and yeah. everything Tough but but impossible. I think but I think that was kind of when I started realized hey I really like writing and recording and I really want to hmm. you know put some music out so the idea of like having like a big band and like touring and being mm -hmm. you know, a star was that that never really crossed your mind until yeah, I don't think that was ever. It wasn't for you. Like huh? That wasn't the goal, really. You know, if if somebody, if it happened to, you know, yeah. if, if the chance came up and it was, you know, doable, then you might do something. You know. Yeah. But really, the main thing for me was, I enjoyed being creative and writing songs and being and, a band. Re and recording them and doing that whole process. You know, that was what I enjoyed. Which is interesting because I, I think I run into it more now, 
um, because we have our own home studios and mm-hmm. we can record stuff. There's like the people that love creating, yeah, love making the stuff that hate recording oh, right. and hate the production. Right. And there's people that can't write but refuse to. Yeah. But you give them something, they'll make it gold. Yes. And like everyone and their sister, you know, has access to this. And I run into it so much, and it's really, it's it's very rare to run into someone that's good at both. Yeah. Because a lot of people claim to be both, mm-hmm. and they can do both, right? But both mediocre, right? You know, and they can just wear the right outfit and right, you know, yeah, say the right thing, and they sound cool, right? Right, right. But it's very rare that you run into someone that can say like, "Hey, I love writing because I'm good at it," mm-hmm. and then sit down in the studio and do it, do the studio work, work which right. is fucking hard, right? There's a lot of work. Perform and then edit right. and then mix right. and then you know maybe do some producing later again. I mean, so that's that's pretty badass, and the fact that your love lies in that process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do, do. I think that uh, I think that is a important thing to remember uh, for all musicians: where your love lies, like where mm-hmm. what part of it do you actually love, right? And how many parts do you actually love? Yeah, yeah. Because you know, a lot of people can say, "I love writing and I love this stuff," but I don't like to perform. Mm-hmm. Okay, well then, what does that pu- where does that put you? Yeah, you know, and people think they can just get over a certain side of it, but it's like, no, you have to find out which ones you actually love and do those. Yeah. So if you can love that whole process, I mean, you're, yeah. you're fucking killing it. Yeah, yeah, and I do. <laughs> and you have to be good at it too. Like yeah. You have to like have the knowledge. <laughs> yeah. You also grew up in an era where like you either ha- knew it or you didn't. There was no like you kind of knew it. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, I don't know if you remember or ever saw the original four-track cassette recorders. <laughs> so Tascam was the company. And it was, you actually re- had four tracks you could record on this cassette, and it had a little mixer on it. Oh, my God. It was about this big. And at the time, they were about 1500 bucks, which was pretty yeah. expensive. This was in the 70s. And that was the first thing I got to record on. Wow. And I would, you know, they had these crazy, stupid-sounding drum machines at the time, you know, <gasps> that were really Did it have bad. mics in it, or did you plug mics into it? No, you could plug a mic and plug your guitar okay, into cool. it, you know? And, you know, you could overdub and you could actually, what was cool is if you had three tracks recorded on it, you could bounce those three tracks onto the fourth track and then you'd have those three tracks open again to add more. Oh, so that's how you would produce. So that's how you would, that's how you learn to produce and do stuff. (laughs) That's amazing. That's, that sounds, that sounds way more fun. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, I feel like that kind of limits you to kind of discipline you. Like, all right, I have to do this part first, and then we can move on. Well, now it's just overwhelming. Yeah, and there was no editing, so if you you do it or you don't. If you screwed up, you had to record the whole track again. Or then they had a they had a foot switch you could punch in and punch out a part. Like oh my so god! You could, you could get in and out of a part real quick. And wow! But you know, you had to play it. You couldn't you couldn't you copy it from it somewhere. You had to punch and oh play it at the same man. time. You know. See, like, this may sound crazy, but I almost, like, that sounds more appealing to me. Yeah. Not because I'm some little hipster shit that, you know, it was old school. Because I turn on my computer, and the amount of stuff that's possible mm-hmm. is fucking overwhelming. Oh, yeah, it's endless. And no matter how much I try to learn on my own, there's just always more to overwhelm me. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I just need to record this part. Why am I, where the, how did I end up here? Yeah. It's just, it's so much. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, back then, that, it was, you got to the music, to the recording quicker, because you didn't have all those options and things yeah. you could do, you know? And you had to like uh, figure shit out, like Led Zeppelin in the hallway or the the stairwell for yeah. when eleven breaks. And what was funny is when you'd bounce those three tracks to the fourth track, you'd have to get your levels right. And if your levels weren't right, then you'd have to go back and and you could you'd have to adjust, you know, bring one of the tracks up a little and get it to where you liked it. So it really taught you how to mix and and listen give an ear, and, and yeah. give you an ear to do that. You know. Now, now people, people now mastering. I mean, how how big is mastering right now? 
People that can master track properly are making bank right now. Yeah, and that's a whole, and you know, <laughs> there's so many people that say they can master, oh my you God. know, because they've got the software to do it. Who's the that guy at the jungle room that masters, mastered all those big records? He did, um, well, I don't, at the jungle room, I don't he know. He works through the jungle room. I've met him through Carlos, and he works through the jungle room a lot. I mean, some of the bigger guys were Bernie Grunman yeah, and um, George Marino. Yeah. You know, there's a handful of them that are really like they the know guys. They, they actually know what they're doing. Yeah. And and it's amazing to watch those guys because I've got a chance to work with, you know, have them work on a couple of my projects. And it's amazing to watch them work. So for the sake of kind of like defining mastering, mm -hmm. like because there's mixing, mm -hmm. getting the level. Mm -hmm. like mixing is its own process about getting mm -hmm. everything to balance properly. Yeah. And then finally tuning it as much as you can. And mm -hmm. when you go to master, what's... What's that? Where's the threshold that mastering takes over? Um, you mean when do you master? Or so like at the end of it, you know, you have set it in you to get mastered. You, you get have it finally tuned. Uh -huh. So like, how much of a difference is that making? What is what is that? What is it that they're I, doing? I, you know, I, it, it's. I mean, I think if your project is recorded really well in the first place, and yeah. your you know your compression is used correctly and everything, the final mastering process is not going to be a huge difference. I mean, they're going to EQ things a little bit. Yeah. They might might add a little more compression, might bring the levels up a little bit more, yeah. you know. But really, that's that's it, you know. And then making sure each track kind of is in that same EQ, yeah. the same and everything. But, I mean, if you have a – if you come in with a project that wasn't recorded really well, and, you know, the mastering might sound like it, they do a little more to it, you know, yeah. when, when you hear it, you know. So would you say mastering is always worth it? Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. Even with that little of a difference if you record yeah, it super well? Yeah, for sure, yeah. Because hmm. the last album we did, it was well, really, really well-recorded record. and uh, The one I listened to recently. Yeah, yeah. but we did all the, all the, there was no compression added in the mastering to that. Really? Because it was all done during the recording process. What kind of compressors? You know, LA-2As and, <laughs> you know. But you have your home studio. Let's fucking decked out then. I do have a good, yeah, I do have a home studio. It's changed a lot over the years. But Did you guys record it there? No, actually, no. I didn't record any of it at my, my studio. Did you guys record? So Michael, the bass player, he lives in the valley, and he has a separate, he's got an old, he lives in an old house there, and the garage was actually in the back of the house, but not attached to the house. Okay. So he converted that into a, to a studio with that kind of equipment yeah i mean he had Damn. he had some friends uh he has a, a good friend of his used to work at ocean way studios which uh, is one okay. of the big studios mm -hmm. um he was his friend was an o he was and he designed studios so he helped he helped michael mm -hmm. design the studio and so that's where we did most of the recording i mean we go to kurt's and record the drums and luis's yeah. to record the percussion God, kurt has such a great drum sound oh yeah amazing it's so unreal yeah 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 plays in if anybody can listen who knows kurt and have been to his house those who don't, you literally walk in his front door and, and the drums within are like there. one <laughs> foot of his front door, his drums are set up in this giant hall yeah, yeah. with mics everywhere and the chords are running like what, 30, 40 feet into, into room, another right, room right, right. where you control it. It's, yeah. I mean, because you walk into the house like that guy could have chosen anywhere to set that stuff up. Right. And he just walked into the front. He's like, that's what that's it needs to be. That's where it needs to be. Yeah. No, Unbelievable. Yeah, it gets great drum sounds. Unreal. I had two other drummers live in that house before him. I don't know. Really? Greg Bissonette. 
Greg Bissonette was. I, I would love to have Greg, uh, Greg Bissonette so close. And one of the Picaro brothers. Okay, yeah. So it's been like a drummer's house. It's weird. Jesus. <laughs> Kurt beat him to it. Yeah. Dirty bastard. Damn, Greg Bissonette. He's still playing with Ringo Starr, huh? Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. still playing with Ringo. He comes in the store a lot, too. Is he, he's great he guy. in town a lot? No, I mean, he's not in town a lot. But, like but when he does, he stops in. like crazy. Yeah, yeah. Great guy, too. Yeah. yeah he's a real good drummer. Well, I've worked with Matt before, and he's just like the nicest human oh, being yeah, I've brother. ever met. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, good people. Yeah. How do you stand on stage in front of that many people and just like, yeah, yeah, crazy, huh? It's it's really it's a really cool experience. You know, it's really something something that you know to expect. Like, all right, we're all human, mm -hmm. but when you you know meet people that, that are so talented and yeah. so successful with their talent, and then basically you've done it all, and they're just like so happy to be there. Same and with great you. people, right? Yeah, like they don't care that you're not yeah. Elton John, right? Yeah. And they give it all. It's just, it's one of the, it's a really, it's like humbling in a weird way. Yeah. I don't know how to describe it, but it's really awesome. Yeah, it's very awesome. And, you know, I, I grew up in a little town in, in the Blue Ridge Mountains in Virginia. Really? Never dreamed that I'd be out here, <coughs> you know, and meet all these people and, yeah. you know, <laughs> pretty crazy. Oh, what a while. You were, so you're from Virginia, huh? Yeah, well, Pennsylvania and Virginia, we moved back and forth a lot when I was little. When you so what? How old were you when you moved back? Here? I was thirteen. Thirteen, okay. and I didn't want to come because I had a lot of friends at the yeah. time. You know, little did you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, but know. I'm glad I did. You know. Hell yeah, we would. Where would like? <laughs> where would the music industry be without you? I mean, if you if you really trickle it down, yeah, well, the amount of like heavy hitting artists, like the big cats that make music, that made music for mm -hmm. years and years and years. I mean, they come into your shop. They count on you. They get their shit from you. You yeah, know. Yeah. Where you know things things wouldn't be the same. Well, you know, you think about it. I mean, how, what would be different about your studio? Or what if you well, I wouldn't have a studio, having, right? <laughs> so I don't know what the hell I'd be doing. You know, it's sometimes those little things in had life. My first guitar yeah. lesson there. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Everything in here has pretty much come from you. I mean, yeah. that. And it's not just instrumental music. It's you. It's like it's John Van's on instrumental music. Mm -hmm. Like, I can bring your name up in any circle of musicians, and they know. Really? Oh, wow. John? I know John. Wow. John runs into, oh, that, the guy with the long hair? Yeah. They either know you personally, or they know you. who hair. I am, yeah. They're like, that guy, he seems so, like, mellow. I'm like, <laughs> little, yeah. He's <laughs> mellow, but you get him going. <laughs> he yeah. knows what he's doing. You're very mafia, very music mafia. <laughs> yeah. So you've been an instrumental a long time. Was, I mean, was it, I know it wasn't the plan to, you know, run the shop, but... Mm -hmm. Did you ever plan to do it this long? I don't. I don't think I ever really thought about it like that. You know, I think it's yeah, I, and I enjoy it, and I nice. enjoy doing it. So, as long as I enjoy doing it, I'll do it. That's fucking rock and roll <laughs> <You know>? right there. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's such an you're such an enigma. You know, someone that just really loves the place they're in, especially a musician. Yeah, we're never satisfied. Yeah, like. We always have something to talk about, like, oh, I wish I would have done this, I wish I would have done mm -hmm. that, I wish I would have done this. But, like, very rarely you run into someone that's just like, I love what I do. I well, do it because I love what I do. Yeah, and I love helping people, Yeah, you know, see them get enjoyment and see them do what they're doing with their projects. And, you know, it's I build a lot yeah. of relationships over the years with people. And you never regretted staying in instrumental music? <laughs> you never thought about going to a bigger company or anything no, like that? No, 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 no. Cool. No. Nice. No. Can't imagine it would be as fun. Yeah, no. And you get to, I mean, how many, I mean, realistically, since instrumental started, how many deals have you made with companies that have changed the game for you guys? I mean, 
you know, bringing Martin and Taylor rooms in there. Yeah. Uh, you know, all the different guitar companies, amp companies, you know, Mesa Boogie's in there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, go to go to any other music shop, you're not gonna find Mesa Boogie's like that. Yeah. You're gonna find like the fucking maybe the Mark V and the Dole Rectifier. Yeah, yeah. But you're not gonna get any of other stuff. Yeah. And it's pretty incredible the the setup and the the, f- the way you've basically built relationships with these companies mm-hmm. that give you their best mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. I think um, it wasn't always like that. Um, there was a store in Simi called World Music back in the 70s that was quite a bit bigger than us. World Music. And World Music. And they had they had most of the, the good lines. And we were struggling to get carry the good brands. Yeah. And I can remember you know, people would come in and they'd, they'd say, do you carry this or do you carry that? And we'd be kind of like, no, no, <laughs> no, no, but we have this, you know. Yeah. So it was it was definitely a struggle for a long time. There was a time where there was a company called St. Louis Music that had these guitars called Electra guitars. Yeah. And crate amplifiers. I that was my first amp. It was yeah. a little little crate. And actually, they sounded not too bad. Did I recorded the distortion on that thing on some of Carlos's tracks. Yeah. That thing is amazing. Yeah, they had some really... Oh uh, my some of God. my first recordings on my four-track were with a little crate amp. Hell yeah. And, you know, at the time, PV was huge. I was and just going to say PV. And, C- and the store in Simi had PV, and we could they wouldn't open us up. So w- people were always you calling us up or coming, do you guys carry PV? No, we don't carry but when we got the crate stuff, we had something to at least compete with it. Yeah. And, you know, I d- if I could get people to listen to it and plug it in, then a lot of times you'd buy it. And that kind of that that kind of started yeah. to turn the tide a little bit for us, you know. Crate amps, huh? Yeah. So what was, that, what was the big guitar company that kind of was a breakthrough for The first guitar company? Well, you know, we, uh, we were always a Gibson dealer from, from yeah. first on. We were always a Gibson dealer. But it was years before we got Fender. And then... In 87, we were the first store on the West Coast to carry Paul Reed Smith. Wow. One year after he started selling to the public. He started in 86, and we were the first store in 87. That late, huh? Yeah. Really? And that 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 really kind of put us on the map, too, for, for electric guitars. You know. Damn. I didn't realize he, you know, I thought he was, I'm amazed that it's only 87. 86, yeah, yeah. Wow. You know, Carlos Santana was one of the first players to have a guitar of his so yeah, that he made that company for a while yeah so that kind of kind of helped us and um, a few years later we got Fender but it wasn't really until I think it was around 90 when we first got 91 92 where we got Martin and that you know that changed that everything. changed everything you know Martin guitars yeah the kings yeah the, the top of the world yeah <laughs> It's not even an argument. Yeah, <laughs> and there's a lot of l- good, there's a lot of good smaller companies that make guitars similar to what they do, but yeah, but still, there's nothing, nothing like a Martin. Not necessarily. Yeah. Like a Martin. yeah. And then <laughs> I got the headstock tattooed on my <laughs> fucking forearm. Look at that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Probably more to come. More yeah. Martin stuff on my body. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, with the shop, with your band, with the. Uh, with your life, your journey through music, you seem pretty present in it all, mm-hmm. which I respect. Um, but looking back on it, would you go back and would you do anything different? I don't think so. You know, I think everything, yeah, and you're right, I, I tend to try and be in the present. Very good at it. And I do look forward 
but yeah. I don't. I try not to look back very much at all. Mm. Um, and everything that's happened in the past and everything obviously leads us to where we are now. Yeah. You know? So I no, I don't think I'd go back and change anything. Okay, so what about right now? Like right now in your life, you run an instrumental. Your band just released a record. You guys just released a, a music video, mm-hmm. and you said you got you signed a distribution deal with Sony, right? Right, correct. Yeah. So that's going to lead you to a certain place. Are mm-hmm. you? What kind of changes are you making in your life right now to have your band be a little bit more successful in that sense, mm-hmm. or have an instrumental be more successful, or whatever, whatever it is in your you know, because you have to you have some sort of like goal mm-hmm. with everything you do, right? Are you, do you have you hit a point where it's like I can't just do the, the, sa- the same thing every day? Mm-hmm. No, I don't think I've hit that point. You know, I don't okay. Yeah, I don't think I've hit that point. So you have the time to you know do everything you want to do as well. Yeah, it's a dream job. Yeah, right now it's you know I mean I'm always busy. I mean it's yeah. I don't have m- much time to do anything personally or you know. But you got music in your life. But I got music <laughs> in my life. You know, and that's the kind of the goal at the end of the day. And that's the goal. You know, and it's like you know. You can you can go out and do things, but then if you do that, that's taken away from your time to to write and be creative, you know. Yeah. And so I'm getting older, you know. You <laughs> got you've got to have like a ton of recorded music then. Oh yeah. Do you release it? I mean, or do you do just do albums with your bands? Do you ever like release on Spotify like just a song? Single. No, I mean w- there was a time uh, in the past ten years we probably did three or four songs where we just we did videos for and just released them as a single. Um. But when we were when we were writing, started writing, I mean, we almost have four four albums worth of material, probably. Wow. And a fair amount of it is done. The basic tracks and stuff are all done. But the mixing. So and but th- that's not all done. But we could probably put another record together, you know, within six months, you know, if we had to. Do you ever you know record on your own time, just you by yourself and guitar? I do. I mean, I have a little. You know, a little handheld recorder, digital yeah. recorder, that I'll, if I'm playing, I'll, I'll you know, and I s- have some idea that I like, I'll definitely record it on there and then archive it on the computer, you know. So for the most part, all the all your writing and, like, you know, personal creative time kind of goes t- towards the band at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty cool. Definitely, That's yes, cool. yeah. I yeah. was going to say, I was like, you know, someone that plays, been playing for this long and so much and knows everything about recording and had so much of this stuff, like, like you should have like 300 songs on Spotify oh at this yeah. point. <laughs> like I should be able to look up John Manziel. Like <laughs> listen to John today. Yeah. But I mean, I listened to the last album. The guitar sound was freaking awesome. Yeah. I'd love to Thank hear more you. guitar sound like that. And that's all acoustic on that too. Yeah, it was freaking beautiful. Yeah. My opinion, the greatest. I've said this before on the, this podcast for sure. The greatest recorded acoustic guitar in the history of music is the beginning of "Wish You Were Here" when David Gilmour comes sliding in. Uh-huh. As the greatest acoustic guitar ever recorded. Yeah. And I challenge everyone. I'm sure you can show me something, but <laughs> everyone, send me a track yeah. that sounds better than that, that. acoustically. Uh-huh. Do it. Yeah. Find one. Yeah. I mean, do you know what? I mean, no, that's definitely a great example. I sure. mean, just dry and crispy yeah. all at the same time. Yeah. It literally feels like you're sitting this close to the uh-huh. you're like right, right there. Right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It pisses me off to listen to that song. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it'd be interesting to. Find out the history of that. How so they he did started. That. I think they he did like this like mini series right now. He's doing because they're auctioning off all of his guitar collection mm-hmm. for like charity. Yeah. And he talks about each guitar. So he was he was playing. I saw an Instagram video of him playing uh, that part mm-hmm. with the guitar that he used, but they didn't talk about that how they recorded it. it. Yeah. 
that's like a gold mine. Yeah. It's probably some stupid shit, dude. It's probably super simple. It's probably just the right time of day yeah. in the right room at the right spot. Ugh. You know, I, are you familiar with Bad Company at all? Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know that. There was an album called Bad Company, and there's a song called Bad Company. Okay. And if you listen to the vocals, it has a certain sound to it. And they actually ran like 500 feet of microphone cable out into this hill, and and Paul Rogers, the singer, at night sang on the moon was out and stuff, and he sang it outside. And that's how they 500 feet. The mic cable how do you even ran. get like signal? Like how do you, you know? get the sound? You know, so you know, back then they would do all kinds of crazy experimentation on different things. So it would be interesting to see how well they got the acoustic guitar sound. You know, that, that makes me question though, because people are like, "Oh, you don't want to get too long of a cable because you might, you know, compromise the sound quality." I'm like, "This dude had 500 feet of cable." Well, my cable you can run long distances and not guitar cable. That's different. You can you'll lose signal. But my cable you can run. run really, you can run on my cable that far. Yeah, yeah. Because I could record my acoustic guitar. You know. Yeah, out there. Out there. Yeah, sure. Yeah. See, now I need more. God, don't. <laughs> this is how you get me every time. <laughs> and I'll be like, now I need to buy my cable from John. I'll be at the shop tomorrow. You'll be thinking about, where am I going to go? What if you're here? <laughs> God damn it. Yeah. Um, so do you have any, uh, like, bucket list items for, like, not even bucket list, but, like, goals for life, like, with music? Mm-hmm. Is there something that you want to achieve with your music in life? Or are you just living it? I think more living it. And for me, it's... If I don't do it for very long, I p- tend to get a little depressed, and yeah. you know, it's just something I I need to be creative, that creative thing, you know. So when you say I, you know, living it, you know, living music, what does that mean? Like, if you could, you, know, you don't have to define it, but kind of explain to me what's the difference between living your music and succeeding in music. I think living it is just doing it, you know. I mean, if you have ideas you're working on recording you just develop those t- and and bring them to some type of fruition where whether you, is it, you know you're happy with it or you can play it for other people to hear it you yeah. know um it's just that's an ongoing process you know it's almost like the willingness to just uh have the confidence to do that and not worry about what other people are yeah gonna think, but I just th- continue yeah just continue being creative and whatever comes out different styles or whatever do it um yeah, I mean, everybody's going to have an opinion, right? Well, of course, you know? yeah. But I mean, like, how often have you picked up a guitar and, like, written something or, like, played something and say, yeah, it's not worth recording, and then you start recording it, and you're like, oh, should I continue to do this? Maybe it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you kind of have all these thoughts that, well, you know, pour y- in. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely things that you might have an idea for and you think it's going to, you know, be something, and then you get into it more and it just never like develops, you know? Yeah. So you got to let those go, you know? So what about when you're not playing? What does it mean to be living music? Well, I think, you know, I'm you're always thinking about, you know, parts or, you know, how are you going to, you know, recording it or parts or layering things or how is this going to sound? You have things going on in your head. Yeah. Know, and then you translate it to the actual recording process. So I think always, you know, thinking about that or listening to music, you know. And that shouldn't change no matter how successful or unsuccessful yeah, it becomes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think so. I mean, it's I mean, it's beautifully said. It's beautiful, but I mean, we all know how much how difficult it is to have that. You know. Yeah. You seem to do it so well. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, thanks. I I think there's I mean, personally, I run into it all the time. Just playing guitar, or playing a show, writing something, or like 
I'll finish the show and be like, oh, you know what? That was really fun, but it wasn't this. I didn't play a bigger show. I didn't yeah. play a mm-hmm. longer set or a shorter set. Or yeah. You know, and not that I don't, not that I really feel that way, mm-hmm. but those thoughts come in just kind of like, like road bumps all the time. Yeah, I mean, I think we all have thoughts like that where we think, you know, maybe we didn't play as well as we should have or things. But I think, I think to, you know, the less you can get away from the judgment of it, the more you'll have the less ups and downs, yeah. you know, and there's nothing wrong with having ups and downs, but, you know, I think if you can be a little more steady with it, you're, you have to survive at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. And you're, you're a more grounded, settled, yeah. happier person, you know? Yeah. Honestly, there's nothing better than seeing a, a musician play, like whether they're playing a stadium or, you know, a corner in a dive bar that is in love with what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, they have to be you know, somewhat good to get to enjoy the music, but sometimes you just see someone that just loves what they're, they're doing. doing. It yeah. doesn't even matter where you are, whether it's the stadium mm-hmm. or that bar. Right, like and you can feel that, right? It's, it's just as powerful. Yeah, yeah, you feel that, and it's like you want to be that, right? It's like, I, like, I want to be that, but I want like, to be in that moment. Like, that's so much what, mu- what music is. Like, when I, when I play shows, I don't know if there's ever been a show where I haven't said this, where I'm like, um, you know, before I introduce, song, introduce a song, I talk about it. I always give this speech. It's not planned. It's just something that always comes out talking about like you know i'm not playing these songs because i want to show off mm-hmm. playing these songs because i'm listening to it with you guys uh-huh. i want to be in this moment with you yeah like i'm here just as much as you are uh-huh. because i know when i'm in the audience and an artist is really giving me what they've got uh-huh. really like passionate i feel like i'm in that moment with them sure yeah and that is the best place to be yeah for sure oh. yeah very powerful <laughs> moments when that happens yeah when they're just fucking feeling it you're like yeah. <laughs> well, before we go, I want to know from someone with so much experience in music and all realms of music with musicians, with I mean, fucking everything, man. You're like you're like a godsend to us musicians. Uh, what advice would you give to not just young musicians, but people that are starting out, people that are starting out with music, and the people that have been doing it them whole their whole lives and ready to give up? So mm-hmm. both sides of the spectrum. What would you tell? each of them so you want to start with one of those first then or yeah so start, start with people just starting out and the people that are ready to give up mm-hmm. so the question is what advice would I give them to keep them playing or what, what so if someone you know picked up a guitar and I said John I started playing guitar last week uh-huh. I think I really love music mm-hmm. I think it's something I want to do, do for the rest of uh-huh. my life right. what advice would you give me well I would I would say you know obviously there's if you remember guitar it's not it's not actually an easy instrument no you know i started when i was five it was not easy yeah yeah (laughs) and i think do you remember for me it was i mean i didn't have to think about practicing when i got home or i got up in the morning before i went to school yeah i just wanted to pick up that guitar yeah even even when i was first starting and i could barely play anything yeah i just wanted to play so I think I would tell somebody, you know, you have to feel that that passion really that it's something you want to do to to be successful at it. Um, obviously, you can you can put in a lot of time and become somewhat proficient at it. Yeah. But if you're not really loving it, what's the point? What's the point really? You know. Yeah. So. I think that's probably what I would say. You know, look for that feeling. If you don't have that feeling, feeling you consider yeah, something consider else. Consider something else. Yeah. Damn. You know, it's like beautiful and cutthroat all at the same time. <laughs> yeah. It's like, do you have it? Don't feel that. Maybe you shouldn't do it. Yeah. 
Interesting. And, you know, I see that, too, with students <coughs> at the shop all the time. And I'll talk to parents. And some of them, they'll just say, yeah, he just, he or she, they, you know, whenever they have a spare moment, they're, they're picking up that instrument. And they're like, know, that's and it. And I go, I know, I go, they really love it, right? And they go, yeah, they do. And you know, that's, they're going to probably have that throughout Lifetime. their whole life, right? Yeah. You know? And uh, so that's, I think that's what I would say. So to get even heavier before we go, mm -hmm. the person that's going to give up. Yeah. The person that's been playing, I mean, however long, but let's make it dramatic. Someone that's, so okay, let's take me, for example. I started at five. Mm -hmm. I've been playing for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Say I hit 35 mm -hmm. and I'm ready. I want to give up music. Mm -hmm. What would you tell me? I would I would ask you to try and remember the feelings you had. Try and connect with that person you were when you when you were really learning and, and so into it and everything. Yeah. And what's in the way? What's what's causing you not to feel that now, you know? Is it personal stuff that's going on in your life yeah. or Maybe the lack of like success, you know, maybe wanting that, you know, bigger picture yeah, or not being able to show a bigger fame kind of thing. Yeah, what is it? I mean, because, you know, when, when we get into it, when we first learn, I, I mean, I don't, I didn't really have, it wasn't for the fame, yeah. you know. I mean, we had, we saw all those bands out there. Yeah, of course. And, you know, you wanted to, but, but it was just the love of the music. You help it. Yeah, you just love music so much and you wanted to learn that guitar and play that guitar like somebody that you knew. Yeah, you know, just to be able to play like that—that that was the m the motivating factor, really. You know. So find out what's in the way of feeling. What's in that. the way of feeling that? Because it's not that you don't love it anymore; it's that something else is preventing you from loving it. Because yeah, if you if you loved it for s for many many years, yeah, I mean, how can you fall out of love with with the guitar and music? You know, yeah. there has to be something. That's something it has to be you because it's you not consciously responding. Yeah, to you, you know? yeah, there has to be something that's causing you. To I not love that. Connected I'm going to remember that one. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to remind myself that like every week I'll be like, I had hike. Is there anything in the way of what, of why you love it? It's hmm. a good one. I'm going to, I'm going to write that question down. Yeah. Ask myself that. Rock and roll. Yeah. Well, before we go, anything you want to say? Anything else? Well, I want to thank you for having me here. Dude, thank you. I'm so happy I had <laughs> John Manslow. Fucking John Manslow. I've, I've listened to several of your podcasts you've done with other people and you always ask great questions and. I hope I uh, delivered. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I had a great time. Yeah. Rock and roll, yeah. man. I hope you can come back on. We can uh, dive into some uh, more studio stuff. Yeah. I'd be happy to, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Love to. Rock and roll, man. Well, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Peace. Yeah. <laughs>